Hello and welcome to another episode of Innovation Matters, the sustainable innovation podcast brought to you by Lux Research. I am your host, Anthony Schiavo. I'm joined as ever by my two co-hosts, Kartik Sovramian and Mike Holman. And it's the last episode of the year. It's it's 2023 is basically in the books. Not quite, but but almost. And uh, yeah, I think it was a pretty good year. We we started a podcast. We did a bunch of other stuff. Traveled all over the world. Uh, lost some cricket matches. You know, <laughs> lost some some F one races. Um, Shohei Otani got a huge contract. So like. What more can you ask for, right? <laughs> Two of the three podcast uh, hosts went to Brussels. Very Two exciting. of the three podcast hosts went to Brussels. Pretty exciting. Indeed. Only one of them got shot at, though. So that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> next year, when we do our when we do our Brussels event next year, we're gonna do a. That's right. We'll co-host it with like the the NRA event or whatever, and we'll make sure that <laughs> NRA Brussels edition. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But yeah, we wanted to look, take this time to, to think about the next year and really look forward. You know, the last episode, we kind of looked back. We talked about the technologies and the trends that were maybe a little surprising or the things that we caused us to change our mind. And now we want to look forward. And this is something that Lux does. You know, we have a long tradition of doing this. When did we start actually doing our, our year review and predictions reports? Like 2015, Mike? 2014? <sighs> Yeah, something like that, 2014, 2015, in, in various, it's gone through a few forms and iterations, but uh, but yeah, those all just yeah. dropped on the Lux member site last, I was reading reading some of them yesterday, so check okay. those out if you're a client. Yeah, if you're, if you're a Lux client, you can check those out. If not, I guess just keep listening, because you're out of luck otherwise, but we're, we are going to talk about what we think is going to happen next year. Um and Mike, uh, you know, I decided I'm, I'm going to kick it over to you first. You uh, were talking a little bit about this earlier, or sort of off mic. But what is your what's your prediction? What's your feeling for for 2024? I think uh, 2024 is when stuff's really going to get real with with critical minerals and the the geopolitical aspects around that. We we've seen some. Uh, some signs of that, right? China has taken some moves to to restrict like gallium and germanium exports and things like that. But I think we're going to continue to see that that sort of geopolitically driven uh, trade tensions and um, around critical minerals start to be to be used as a uh, a little bit more and potentially significantly more aggressively. Um, so I think that's going to lead to a lot of other countries investing, you know, so that was part of like, this is a little bit of the flip side of the trend that we called out from 2023. Last episode, we talked about uh, some of the investments and things like direct lithium extraction uh, in the U S uh, um, with the, the big Exxon mobile play in in Arkansas and things like that. Uh, so I think definitely it'll be a big year for investments in um, that kind of, you know, production capacity, processing, refining um, domestically in, you know, U.S. and Europe and, and, and a lot of other places. 
Uh, but I think it's also going to see more of, of investment in alternative technologies, right? We've already seen, um, you know, CATL, for instance, making big moves into to sodium ion batteries uh, so far this year. Um, there's going to be a lot of efforts around, you know, whether it's lithium and, and, and nickel and some of these other materials or whether it's, you know, rare earth uh, free magnets or um, alternatives to, to PGM catalysts for, for electrolyzers and things like that. There's, there's going to be, I think, a ramp up in, in response to some of the, the, the disruptions that we might see, a ramp up in investments in those, those sort of alternatives as well as, as well as domestic production. You called out, you know, China, and obviously I think that's right uh, in terms of there being pretty important moves this year or next year, I should say, in that in that space. But we've also seen, you know, the geopolitical tension really ratchet up in South America, right, uh, in a lot of different ways. And yeah, yeah. I guess, and, and, you know, resource extraction being a pretty big focus. Nationalizing that stuff, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like the whole Guyana you know, ongoing episode is really about well, yeah. resources, right? Nat- national resources and natural resources, oil in that particular instance. Um, and I guess I'm curious what you think the role those South American countries are going to play in all this, and especially the, the, the countries who are, whether it's Indonesia or, uh, you know, Venezuela, like that have access to some of these important resources, but aren't aren't, you know, huge geopolitical players uh, on the world stage, but but do have these important um, resource control, you know, positions, right? Uh, how is that going to play out or, or what are you looking for there? Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to see them running the Indonesia playbook, right? I mean, Indonesia mm-hmm. uh, banned a lot of those and, and restricted exports of raw nickel in order to build up the domestic um, refining capacity and, you know, try to, to, to move down the value chain into some uh, higher value activities other than just just the the extraction. So I think you'll definitely continue to see that sort of push from uh, other countries, including you know like the Chile and Bolivia and these, these other big players in in lithium and copper and stuff in in South America. I, I don't think that's actually as big of a you know because those countries are I think for the most part going to be be willing to to sell to to whomever you know there's not going to be so much about trade restrictions as mm. far as who they're willing to sell to um you know but uh but you will see them kind of moving down moving down the value chain and, and it more into the leveraging their their resources to kind of move into some of that higher value processing so you know you are expecting them to run the the indonesia playbook as you mentioned you don't think that that's going to be a long-term I mean, that will have long-term impacts in terms of where the supply chain is located, but you're not, yeah. you know, expecting that to be a I mean, disrupting I, factor. Maybe I'm being a little too glib and just assuming, uh, you know, using the, the the story that we saw and we've, we've talked about on this podcast before, I think, with, with Indonesia as a template. Like when, you know, Indonesia started making these 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 restrictions around, you know, there, there was a lot of prediction there, there were at least some predictions. It's like, Oh, this is going to be a huge disruption in the supply chain. And it's going to, you know, this is a bad move and all that. And it, you know, it's, it's kind of basically worked fine. Right. I mean, they've, they've succeeded yeah. in building up some more of the, the, the domestic capacity and, and um, it's, it's seen a lot of foreign direct investment and in having, having that nickel refining done in Indonesia. And it hasn't like, you know, 
I'm sure it's created some challenges for companies in individual places and situations and things, but it hasn't really been like a major threat to the to nickel supply. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I think you know, like I said, I think the, there's there's definitely that aspect of it. But I the 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 part that I think we'll see uh, also accelerating is is more of those you know, and from an innovation standpoint, is those kind of investments in 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 the workarounds, you know, so whether it's for lithium or for nickel or for for PGMs or rare earths or or, or whatever, um, you know, we've certainly been seeing that. But I think that's uh, you know, people people investing in alternatives that don't require some of those those critical minerals. Um, I think that's going to be uh, a big theme in twenty twenty four. That makes sense. If I may add here, uh, I really think. Uh, maybe not related to the critical minerals we have discussed right now, but I really feel that, especially with nuclear gaining a lot of traction, as we spoke about this in the previous episode, I think there's going to be a lot of chatter around thorium and how they can look Mm -hmm. at thorium. Uh, Especially, I think China is looking at thorium now for their advanced reactors. Um, I think India is going to be doing that as well, given the abundance of thorium they have. So I think even from a nuclear energy standpoint, you're going to see a diversification into these newer radioactive fuels. Um, and that's going to be quite interesting as well to see how that shapes up the different reactors that are being you know, developed in different countries. Is India going to be the Saudi Arabia of thorium? Somebody's going to write They're, that article? <laughs> they potentially could. I'm sure someone has. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So speaking of Saudi Arabia, right? <laughs> Always a good segue. The the thing I wanted to call out or my prediction for, for 2020 uh, for here is that there is still a lot of pain left to come in the public markets, right? Um, and there's still a lot of pain, financial pain left to come for startups, especially startups who, you know, received a ton of funding in the bubble period of 2020 through, you know, early 2022, a lot of which did come from Saudi Arabia, which is why I'm, I'm making that connection there. Um, and I think, you know, what we've seen is that over uh, over 2023, um, these companies have generally been burning through their cash reserves, right? And their stock prices have gotten tanked, right? Hammered. And, uh, you know, you can name any number of companies here, right? Desktop Metal jumps to mind, but there's a ton. Um, some of them have already gone out of business, but I think most of them are still kind of limping along. And I think 2024 is the year where all these companies end up, you know, basically fire sailing out, right? You had $180 million at mid-2022. You were able to make it, you know, 18 months uh, with that kind of runway. And now they're just not going to be able to raise money at the valuations or raise money at the uh, with those sort of prices that will justify ongoing investment. And so you'll have those assets be sold off. You'll have the employees either, you know, at a new organization sort of absorbed through like a fire sale or just out of work. And um, and there's still going to be a lot of just like, you know, real sort of financial pain, you know, that that hangover from the the bubble era of 21 and, you know, 2020 is is still going to be with us and and i think a lot of it is you know the 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 macroeconomic narrative is good in general i mean people are debating exactly how good the economy is but in general you know we're not in like a deep recession we've we've mostly managed to avoid uh that type of of economic macroeconomic trouble so far um and i think that's gonna continue i don't necessarily think this this type of economic pain will will percolate to like the very broader economy but 
certainly for this innovation, this group of innovative companies, there's a lot of pain coming in the future. And also for some of the like, you know, um, more technical um, markets or uh, companies, you know, I think there's going to be be challenges as well. Opportunity if you're in a decent financial position. But uh, I think we're still going to see I think we're going to see a lot of, of the bottom continue to fall out on the startup sector next year. It's not, you know, things are not going to turn around for the startup sector, you know, maybe AI bubble excluded um, until 2025, (laughs) in my view. So it's going to be another, another lean year. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's, there's sort of two aspects of it, right? There's, there's the SPAC companies like the desktop metals and, and, and things of the world that have gone public in, in the boom times and have, have seen their stock prices kind of get hammered and are, are probably going to be in, you know, in a, in a tough, it, it's going to be hard. Their, their stock prices are so low. It's going to be hard for them to raise money. I think, you know, we've seen the stocks rallying a bit, you know, the NASDAQ's actually up quite a bit on the year, but, but, uh, and with, with, signs of interest rate cuts coming, you know, I think it'll be good for the the public markets, probably not good enough to, you know, make a material difference for these companies that have, you know, have already lost most of their, um, their IPO or their, in most cases, their sort of SPAC um, value, you know, value from when, when, when their, uh, their SPAC transaction closed. And, you know, we've already seen that, right? Amaris and Zymergen have gone bankrupt in 2023. I think you'll see, it, it's definitely true, you'll see a bunch more of those in, in 2024. But then there's the question of what, what about the, the broader venture markets, right? Which have also, following the interest rate increases and, and, and um, you know, the SVB implosion and all of that, it's it's been a tougher year for 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 VC for a lot of organizations, and I think generative AI stuff is going to suck up a lot of the the oxygen in the room. So it is going to be a, a tougher year mm-hmm. for uh, for venture capital funding for for startups. But there's you know there is still enough in I think happening in the climate tech space and enough of the policy drivers still in effect that you'll continue to see. A solid amount of uh, of activity there. I don't think it's going to be as bad for the private markets. Essentially, it's not going to be a, definitely not going to be a boom year like twenty twenty one or whatever what would have been. I mean, I've I know I've heard in a lot of my conversations, basically all the investments that were made in you know twenty twenty two, right, and to some extent twenty twenty one are now pretty deep underwater and. They're kind of just dragging down the books of the VCs. I mean, basically, if you were a VC, as long as you were investing from 2015 to 2020, no, to 2020, you made money. Didn't matter what you were investing in, right? And now the tables have turned, and basically anything you invested in in 2020 through 2021, unless it's turned around and spacked immediately and you got out within that time frame, like that's just dragging your books down, basically. Which a, I mean, like VC investing is purely, you know, a function of. <laughs> purely a function of macroeconomic factors as far as i'm concerned like this whole idea of vcs as like you know rational actors or whatever is is totally ridiculous um but it just means like i just don't think people are gonna be able to make you know like that many investments even if the like interest rates come down right even if the financial conditions really do improve it's just like the state of the books is such that it's going to be really difficult for people to raise new funds, people to, to actually execute on new investments, you know? Mm-hmm. For me, what's interesting from what you guys have discussed so far is, or, or the pattern I'm 
<clears throat> excuse me that i'm trying to sort of uh deduct uh, or take out from this is that startups are most likely going to pursue private investing sources rather than go public so are you going to see like a a reduction in number of companies that go public considering they're going to go risk averse i think so i think we're definitely going to have companies staying private for longer i think we're going to have companies you know pursuing alternative means of funding for longer i think we're going to have companies not just not scaling as aggressively right like just simply simply being constrained in what they would be doing otherwise um and and you know i think that's one of the things we've talked about is the inflation reduction act and these other sources of of government funding are going to drive more of the startup activity going forward and i think 2024 is really the year where we're going to see if that's true right if startups in the hydrogen sector can really scale by you know gaining access to tax credits and these other these other incentives from the US government and, and really driving um their their total level of funding much higher or just making it so that their business is a lot more profitable than it would be otherwise and that they can reinvest those profits into their their continued growth this will be the year where all of that bears out i think it's definitely going to be impactful for the large corporations right the companies who have the capital to to make the projects happen but we have to see if the the startup sector can really engage with that funding as well yeah and i think there's i mean there is still from what i've seen a pretty good amount of dry powder in 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 vc but i think because of the overall uh, environment and, and and economic conditions they're definitely going to be less willing to to throw that at more speculative ventures, but I think if if there are companies that that can show that they you know they have product, they have you know perhaps ability to access some of these these public funds and and good access you know good you know more clear path to to actual revenue and and, and profitability, then I think there there may be there will be some VCs who are willing to to step in and help back some of the the stronger companies. Um, if they see if they see a more clear path to to revenue and returns, because they do have the money to do so. I'm making my do they face. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm a little I'm a little skeptical. The kind of investors who invest in the kind of technologies we care about, you know, the corporates and and other groups. Like, if you're a corporate VC, I feel like, and you were active in 2020 through 2022, I feel like you're in a lot of challenges right now. Um, <laughs> like, if you had 50 million dollars lying around, right? And you invested two thirds of it, and now you're trying to like figure out what your returns are going to be and how you're going to how you're actually going to get to anything resembling a good outcome, you know? Yeah, but I mean, you may be well if you you do still have you know whatever money money lying around, you may still be willing to to try to spend spend some of that on some of the companies in your portfolio that that have made some decent progress with the, with the first rounds of, of of funding that you got them and try to you know at least make even if the valuation might be down try to make the best you can and, and salvage some of those investments as opposed to you know at this moment putting it into something that's like really new and speculative but the one thing i also see with uh, investors in general is that they tend to be very short term in their thinking so they want quick returns and they want good returns quickly which doesn't happen all the time and i believe at least with climate tech uh, like nuclear fusion for example um, you know i've had clients ask a lot of questions where they go which company do i invest in or when can we expect returns i mean 
those are all questions we don't have answers to at this point, right? Because there's very little differentiation between these companies um, in terms of where they are, in terms of maturity. So I, I think that there should be a shift in investor thinking where they take that long-term approach um, and focus on different technologies, not just think about what's the silver bullet that's going to help us out in the energy transition. All right. And Kartik, I'll, I'll kick it back to you. What are you thinking about for 2024? What are you looking out for? What's uh, what's keeping you up at night, you know? <laughs> I think what's actually keeping me up at night at this point would be how we are going to manage grid reliability moving forward. Uh, we are already seeing that we do not have enough grid capacity to account for how how much intermittent renewables we are putting into the grid. So we are seeing a lot of blackout issues, grids not able to take in as much electricity because we have too much sun or too much wind. And then these developers having to curtail or face the risk of actually having to pay people to purchase electricity, which means you have negative prices. I really think next year is going to be the year where we're going to see a lot of negative electricity prices. And I think the number of hours out of the entire year where we see such negative electricity prices is going to be at its highest next year. The fear of this going into 2025, I think will trigger a lot of investments into long duration energy storage. And I think that will also lead to a few investments in grid, but I feel the investments in long duration storage will be higher because I'm not sure how quickly you can get you know grid capacity online, especially seeing the pro- problems in the US, for example, where it takes a long time to get those projects approved. I think long duration storage would be an easier set. How how much do you think that that grid reliability question is really going to play into the investment decisions that are getting made? Because it seems like right now we have a lot of incentives that are driving big investments, whether it's in you know wind and energy or even something like hydrogen, right? Where that's taking a lot of that energy and it's not really using it for a grid reliability purpose. It's it's much more aimed at industrial decarbonization. So, like, how do you feel about these? investments actually are are they are we going to get to a point where people are like oh we need to stop this ira stuff is is pushing us in the wrong direction entirely like like is that going to happen in 2024 is that a a longer term thing Uh, how are you thinking about this like uh how is how are these investments going to intersect with this issue um i think at least with the ira i don't see any changes to the policy so i think there are going to be investments solely because you get the tax credits and the benefits, at least in the US. Uh, of course, in the rest of the world, we don't have an, a policy equivalent to the IRA. So that's going to be difficult to judge whether we are going to see such policies come out. I think other economies will follow suit uh, and, and introduce such tax incentives. Uh, but that remains to be seen. Uh, looking at specifically as to how they would go about solving this grid reliability challenge and where and how much they're going to invest, I think the problem becomes even more difficult to resolve, especially when we have these distributed assets coming along. So a lot of homeowners switching to solar power and behind the meter batteries and things like that. So they really have to start understanding how that's going to impact the grid or how much independent are people getting. And then based on that, I think they will decide how the investments are going to go. I don't see drastic investments in 2024, but I just think energy storage, like at least grid form, energy storage or or long duration energy storage for the central grid, I think is going to take the bigger share. Yeah. I mean, you maybe just answered this question, but I mean, what I, what I'd had, what I'd think about for, for that, that grid scale 
um, energy storage is, is, is how hard is it going to be to get these, these, pro- I mean, we've seen all the problems with offshore wind, right? Both due to supply chain and sort of the overall interest rate environment, uh, making it much more difficult to get these, these projects to pencil out. And isn't, isn't sort of grid, large scale grid energy storage going to face a lot of those, the same sorts of issues? Yep, I, I think so. Uh, and you're very much right about that. Uh, but what I feel is, at least when it comes to increasing grid capacity versus implementing these storage solutions, I think the delays that you're going to face with introducing greater grid capacity is going to be, you know, more problematic, at least. So that's where I think the the difference is going to be in. Uh, I don't see long duration storage like projects, you know, like coming online this next year. Uh, I think there will be delays there. But at least I think we are going to see more deals being announced saying we are going to invest in this and maybe they'll come online five years from now all right fellas any uh any last words for the year i mean it's uh it's been 20 episodes of this podcast right a long a long time uh coming i mean i think we started back what five five months ago now so any uh any final thoughts to share with the class before we sign off for the year and and head into 2024. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I was thinking a little bit about the, I mean, you and I were having this this conversation offline uh, yesterday, I think about sort of like, what's the overall vibes for, for 2024? Um, you know, I think it's it, it's been a little weird in, in, in 2023 because there's been, you know, on the one hand, a lot of exciting stuff happening uh due to all of the policy actions and and things like that but uh, on the other a lot of the the sort of the macroeconomic conditions a lot of the industries that we work with are looking for you know opportunities in here chemicals and manufacturing and things have had have had challenging years um and you know whether it's been supply chain stuff or inflation and you know sort of weak demand in certain sectors it's it's been kind of a challenging economic environment, even as I think the policy environment for the kind of technologies that we, you know, that we're focused on here has been, has been very positive. So it's, it's just been a little bit of a weird year that way. I, I feel like as far as a, a very kind of mixed signals mm. for, for sustainable innovation in a lot of ways. And I guess I'm, it looks to me like that's going to kind of continue into to 2024 with you know, maybe the upside risk to that being that the, you know, we have the the soft landing, we avoid the recession, interest rates and inflation start to come down. And that's, you know, sort of the macroeconomic environment getting more positive. But on the other with, um, particularly here in the US with the election year and all of that, the, and as well as some of the geopolitical stuff that we talked about at the top, that the the policy environment could be end up being a, a lot more of a, of a mixed bag in 2024. So I guess that's kind of big picture how I would, how I would see the, you know, vibe check going into, going into the new year. But I'm, I'm curious what you guys think about that. For me personally, I think uh, 2024 is going to be the year where we all realize that, you know, things are about to go down like real bad. And I think that's going to drive the decisions or, or not just policy decisions, but investment decisions, a lot of our general decision-making in 2024. I think that's the vibe I have going in. Uh, but, you know, so far, uh, talking about innovative 
trends and sustainability on this podcast has been amazing i think we have had a good year covering a whole bunch of innovations and topics that's been going around maybe we didn't talk much about football of course we're going to have the uh, festive football season kick in in england <laughs> starting this weekend so football every day we should talk about that more maybe but uh, yeah actually uh, it's been uh, great looking into this and like i said the vibes for 2024 for me i think it's going to i think the word realization is going to be a big word for me for 2024 yeah more focus on real deployment and you know real revenue generating a- activities for for mm-hmm. a lot of these companies you know i i think that's right and i think every year we edge a little closer to the big the big climate catastrophe right you know and the way that will come is you're going to have i mean we had the hottest year on record this year it was there were a lot of weird effects relating from that we had some really big disasters you know not necessarily in america or in the developed world but certainly in the developing world we had some really big disasters and i think we're going to have that again next year maybe even worse right um i know this was like el nino and there's some some specific factors that made this a pretty tough year from a climate perspective but you know i think a lot of that's going to continue into 24 and I'm, I'm hopeful this is uh, the year that people really start to figure it out, right? I was reading an interesting study about how, you know, China could peak its carbon emissions, right, uh, in in the next year or so. And so that's something I'm really going to be looking for, keeping my eyes on, is what exactly happens there. And can China really get serious about decarbonization? Um, because if we don't, I mean, we're really running out of time to avert the worst impacts of climate change. And the impacts we're going to have are already pretty bad. So... It's going to be, uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better for sure when it comes to climate change. But I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that 2024 is at least the year that we really start to take it seriously, both from a technology deployment standpoint, but also increasingly from a a climate mitigation um, adaptation standpoint as well. And some of the financing, you know, it's, it's, it's a big ask, but even, you know, we had COP28 recently and like, I think it was disappointing in a lot of ways. But we did make some progress. You know, there was some agreement to phase out uh, fossil fuels. We made some progress on on adaptation and mitigation. So I'm just hoping 24 is the year that somehow all the ways in which the world has been getting worse turn around and and things actually start to get better. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully. 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 I think just to the listeners of this podcast, we want to say thanks uh, for sticking with us, for listening. You know, you spent a good amount of time with us this year, uh, with us in your ears, and we really appreciate that. We couldn't do this if it wasn't for everyone listening to it. And we have uh, we have some big plans for 2024 ourselves. Um, we have a lot of really exciting stuff lined up uh, in terms of interviews and topics and discussions and, and things we want to try out. So yeah, we just want to say uh, thank you and, you know, have a happy holidays and hopefully a, a safe and, you know, productive new year. Yeah. Likewise, it's been a lot of, uh, a lot of fun discussing with uh, this stuff with, uh, with you two and, uh, and our various guests. So yeah, looking forward to a lot more. We've got some good, some exciting plans for 2020, 2024 also, but enjoy the holidays and uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you two more in the new year. 
Innovation Matters is a production of Lux Research, the leading sustainable innovation research and advisory firm. You can follow this podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want more, check out www.luxresearchinc.com slash blog for all of the latest news, opinions, and articles.